You're listening to an all-new episode of Self-Made Strategies. Visit selfmadestrategies.com for new episodes, information about our guests, and a whole lot more. On this episode, we sat down with Jason Marziani. Jason is a game creator, software developer, fan engager, writer, and investor. Jason's with us today to talk about all things NFT, non-fungible tokens. Jason's the CTO of MVP Interactive, a fan experience technology company, and he works with sports teams and brands to bring gameplay and augmented reality experiences onto concourses and mobile devices around the globe. If you go to mvp-interactive.com, you can see some of the work that they've done and the brands that they've worked with. They've worked with Coca-Cola, JBL, Bud Light, 16090, the NFL, the NHL, many hockey teams, many baseball teams, many football teams, AT&T, Chase, AARP, Pepsi, Audi, and the list goes on and on and on. On their homepage, you'll see a new mural that they created for the Tennessee Titans that fans can walk up to, hold their phones up to it, and see an interactive display of a football player doing some amazing things. Jason leads a team of creatives, developers, IT, and project managers to deliver results to MVP Interactive's clients, including, again, the Colorado Rockies, Coca-Cola, JBL, the Sacramento Kings, the Philadelphia Flyers, and the Tennessee Titans. Jason built a mobile game and software development consultancy focused on building games on the Unity platform. During that time, and this is before he was at MVP Interactive, he built games that would win awards at at the IndieCade Festival and the Webby Awards. He's also worked with companies like Zynga and Urban Outfitters. He became a co-working pioneer as an early member of Philadelphia's first co-working space, Indie Hall. And as all of you know who listen to this show regularly, I am a huge, huge fan of Indie Hall. You'll hear us talk about that as well. Jason was also a launch partner of Philadelphia's first video game-focused co-working space, The Game Forge. Here are the self-made strategies of Jason Marziani. Thanks for joining me, last minute especially, on a on a Saturday, no less. I appreciate you taking the time. <laughs> yeah, I... Uh... I rented a hammer drill. Second time I've rented one of these things. Took out some tile, and I was returning it uh, to home. I had to get it back, and then because uh, I had the sh- it was a rental, and uh, got caught in like I don't know, I'm not I'm not sure if it was a funeral because I was right near a, 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 a you know like a, a cemetery, right? Um, or if it was construction because uh, it was like kind of it was just slow, and then all of a sudden it wasn't slow anymore, and. You went to that. Good. You went to that Home Depot in Wincoat, right off of Sheltonham. No, no, I'm I'm out in uh, Media. Oh, so okay, gotcha. I'm over. Uh, I was over in uh, Broomall. Um, so anyway. Oh, cool. No worries. No worries Pleasure at all. Man. To meet well, you. Yeah, How likewise, you? man. Yeah. And are you still a member of Indie Hall or no? Uh, I am not. I uh, I was a member there from I want to say 2010, 2009, 2010, around there. Awesome. And then, uh, till I, I left there and joined a, um, a group who had kind of graduated out of that space. Um, and we went eventually, well, we started by going to another co-working space, um, that was uh video game themed, um, called, uh, the game forge right, right around the corner from Indy hall. And then, uh, um, yeah, you, you helped co-found that. Yes. I, uh, it was, um, started by two guys, um, who had a team called cypher prime. 
Um, and they kind of lease the space. And then um, a bunch of us kind of joined on. Um, there's, I think, like three or four studios who worked out of that space for, um, I think we were there for maybe about two years. And then our team um, wound up joining um, another team that we knew had bought a space or like two, three doors down. Um, and But the space was open. So they needed kind of like a company to come in and sublet, but but because they would have access to the entire office, um, they needed someone that they knew. So they were actually at an indie hall. Um, and so and we knew them, so we joined into their space. That's cool. Awesome. Um, and now uh, we'll, we'll walk into MVP Interactive in a second, but I'm curious because you started with a background in film mainly, right? As, as far as your, your bachelor's was concerned, you got a bachelor's in film. How did you end up as the CTO for MVP Interactive? Um, well, that, those are two, <laughs> it's two <laughs> ends of the spectrum. I was like yeah, 20 right. between those two things. That's cool. Um, yeah, I went to film school. I, um, I got into interactive, uh, a cousin of mine was an artist in Philadelphia and, um, his, uh, his name is Bill Ristine. And, um, he kind of showed me a little bit of what, um, he was working on at the time doing HTML and JavaScript. Um, this is, this is before any of us found flash. Um, but he, he kind of opened my eyes to that side on which you could create there. I was learning a lot of digital video editing in school. So I applied for a production job at the NBC station in Boston um, as, as an internship at school. I, I, I went to Boston University and they turned me down um, in the production studio. But there I had had I put HTML on my resume because I knew like three HTML tags. And I was like, why not? And uh, <laughs> their, uh, that's their awesome. webmaster, that's how long ago this was, uh, their webmaster called me up, uh, Cristiano. And uh, he asked if I wanted to come and work with him instead um, on the website. And uh, so I interned there and, and worked part-time there. Um, and it was, it was awesome. I, I was putting all the news on the website. Um, I was working in the newsroom in the mornings. I would get there at like six in the morning. It was crazy. Uh, almost every day put, you know, take the AP wired news stories, put them on the website. And then after that, um, I would go and we were writing all sorts of crazy Perl scripts and, um, uh, we're using real media player to stream video on the website. <laughs> I think we were, we were one of the first news stations to, uh, to actually get like a live stream and, um, wow. And pre-recorded video uh, onto our website, um, certainly in that market, but I would have probably applied that across the rest of the U.S. Uh, we, I built a mobile website for them in 2000, uh, so That's we were cool. ahead of our time. Yeah, and and that's really, I, I mean, I fell in love with it at that point. And from there, I started working more in Adobe Flash or Macromedia Flash. Um, went from Flash to working in mobile. Um, and then went from doing, you know, native mobile development to unity. Um, and so that's how I started. I, you know, I fell in love making games, um, and followed that path a bit, uh, and then worked on, uh, with Flyclops and Domino's, um, making, you know, the largest Domino game on iOS and Android. And we had a huge community around that. Uh, and then I left there and I found, you know, there's like three or four game companies in Philadelphia. Um, Flyclops, PHL Collective, um, Cypher Prime used to be. And uh, then there's some really small indie teams. Um, and then there's MVP Interactive. And uh, 
joined them about three years ago uh, as CTO, took over the role, um, fixed up uh, a number of um, their services. Um, and, and our primary thing is we make um, games and photo booth experiences, and video booth experiences um, in, for the sports vertical, primarily for the sports vertical. Right. Yeah. Mainly for the NHL flyers for uh, baseball, of course, the Rockies, the Nationals, the Mets. I I won't I won't rag on you too much about the Mets. Uh, And for the (laughs) NFL, of course, the Colts, the Titans, the Vikings, Chargers, Eagles uh, and a couple of other teams in there as well. That's really cool. Really, really cool. So you create basically uh, augmented reality type of experiences, right? At MVP Interactive. Yeah, primarily. I mean, it's it's a. it's a loose interpretation of our augmented reality, but, um, it is augmented reality. Um, and we, um, yeah, we've worked with, you know, the teams that you mentioned, we've worked with a number of brands, Coca-Cola, JBL. Um, I'm going to forget all of them now that I'm being recorded. Um, but, uh, <laughs> no, that's cool. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, no we, worries. We won't, we won't we hold you to anything like that. Uh, yeah. we do fan engagement primarily. Um, we also do some data and analytics work too. Um, Example of that, um, we did a um, uh, audio. We do a lot of audience measurement because we've gotten really good at measuring our own uh, installations. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can off offshoot that. We can um, we can just track you know audience uh, numbers, metrics, attention, dwell time in a space, that sort of thing. And um, we've done that at CES a couple times for um, some of the larger installations there. And so we do like a, a, just a pure data analytics thing as opposed to doing, you know, a fun game or um, experience type thing. It's awesome. Really, really cool. So augmented reality, for those of you who are listening who don't know what that is, Pokemon Go is probably the most famous recent example, right? Where basically through the lens of your camera phone or through another lens, in your case, like you said, the photo booths or the video booths, I'm guessing, you can basically overlay digital things in that space, right? Like Pokemon Go, that's essentially a 30,000 foot view explanation, a layman's explanation, because I'm no expert in augmented reality, but but that's my understanding at least. Yeah, I think the, the big players right now on mobile are, um, you know, Snapchat, Instagram, um, Facebook, they all have, you know, cameras built into their applications and then they do. So anytime you're doing a face filter or anything like that, that's augmented reality. You're, you're augmenting reality with digital content. Um, right. Pokemon Go is a really famous game that utilizes it, um, you know, where you actually, you know, in your front yard, you're looking at Pokemon characters who are sitting right. there and, you know, they're right. obviously not there in real life because they're right. Pokemon characters. Um, and that's, that's uh, the implementations on mobile. Um, we do a little bit of mobile. Um, we've been doing um, it more as um, doing AR for mobile web. Um, so there's not like an app download that goes along with it. Um, we did a augmented mural for the Tennessee Titans. Um, so we, they had a painter come in and do a, um, uh, a mural on the side of a building. And then we animated that mural, um, and built a 3d character, um, of one of their players, um, a generic player, I should, I should say. Um, it wasn't one of their specific players because mm-hmm. it's a whole another set of licensing involved with that. Right, right, of course. Um, yeah. But yeah, so the player comes off the wall and um, he spikes a ball at one point. So kind of a cool short. It's like maybe sixty seconds the experience. Um, so it's we do some amazing. stuff like that yeah. on mobile, but most of our stuff is kind of larger screen formatted. Um, you know, we work with a hundred twenty inch um, 
LED screens. Um, what we'll usually do is fabricate an IR frame that goes around that screen that touch, that she turns it into a touch frame at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we will make games with, um, the touch component is usually just for interaction, light interaction. Um, so you can enter in your email address or anything like that. You can select which hand you're going to bat with. Uh, but most of our games are, um, some sort of gesture based game. So whether it's uh, Microsoft Connect, it's capturing your movement. So if you wave your hand, you know, you can block a, a goalie slap shot type scenario. Um, we fabricate a bat for the home run game. So you mentioned City Field. Mm-hmm. We had a home run game there. Um, we have that home run game at Coors Field. And then we have that home run game um, with Cox Communications and T-Mobile. Um, on, And they travel with it. Um, That's awesome. Wow. Cool. Yeah. So... Wave of the future, my friend. So that brings us now to what we're really here to talk about and and the reason that we connected to begin with, which is NFTs, non-fungible tokens. Super red hot. It's essentially a lot, in a lot of ways, very similar to what we were talking about with respect to augmented reality. It's taking digital things and essentially creating a real world value. And we'll talk about the two sides, I think, of NFTs as well, because I think people get mixed up in the difference between the sort of exchange value of it, right? When you're trading pieces of art that have an NFT associated with it, we'll get into all of this versus the usefulness in the real world. And I think there's a lot of really interesting applications. I teach IP law at uh, Temple to Fox School of Business students, undergrads. And I've been telling them a lot, you know, keep an eye on this NFT stuff from the mid-semester point when it started to really go crazy uh, and all the students obviously are pretty interested in it. So we talk about it all the time and you've graciously accepted to come and uh, and speak to the class on this upcoming Friday. We're recording this on a Saturday. So really grateful for your time and grateful to have you here. We won't no hold problem. you out as an expert in NFTs. We're both just enthusiasts. We're just here to, to you know, go back and forth and kind of talk about this a little bit and and help anyone who's listening to this to understand a little bit better how you can wrap your head around this stuff. Because every day, if you follow the NFT account on Instagram or Super Rare on Instagram or go to the Super Rare site, obviously, and there's so many exchanges popping up and so many different places to go and check this stuff out. And it's it's pretty cool. I, I mean, I think if nothing else, it's amplifying the creative work that digital artists are, are making because it's sort of amplifying them in the sense that they feel, I guess, more protected. So they're they're producing more because of it. But anyways, let's start from the very beginning, because this is going to be pretty unwieldy. And you recently did a talk for Indie Hall, uh, which is on YouTube. I'm going to post the link to that also in the show notes. So anyone who wants to go and watch that talk can do so. Big shout out to Indie Hall. Huge fan of Alex. I'm a member at Indie Hall as well. And uh, Alex has been on the show twice. Super cool collaborator. Uh, one of the longest, if not the longest, co-working spaces, not only in Philadelphia, but across the United States. And Alex actually travels the world often to promote co-working spaces and best practices for those individuals. He, he will basically help the majority of co-working space founders to avoid making the mistakes of some of the other big box uh, co-working spaces. But we won't get into all that. I'm just a huge fan of Indie Hall. So always like to give them a little bit of press when I can. So all right, what in your own words, what are NFTs? And how can people start to wrap their heads around this concept? Yeah, sure. I mean, NFTs are a um, 
it's an it stands for non fungible token. Um, essentially, a fungible token is what most cryptocurrency is based on. So it's um, you know, your Bitcoins, um, Ethereum, Litecoin, um, any of the ones I own that you want to go out and purchase to raise the value of my coins, go for it. Um, <laughs> those, <Love that>. are, <laughs> those are your fungible tokens. And, without, um, without giving away any investment advice, we're not telling right, anyone no, to invest. I'm not a fiduciary but but, any means. but um, what, what tokens do you hold if you want to share? And I know it's a faux pas to ask how much, so I won't do that. But which no, ones do you currently own? Um, so I have uh, Bitcoin, I have the ones I mentioned, um, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin. Um, I have uh, from um, Chainlink, I have a nice. little bit of their coin. And then yep. um, I have, I bought a Decentralands coin nice. recently, nice. Yeah. Uh, Mana. And then there's two or three other ones that I'm looking at. Um, I have, I just did the math on this actually, um, for the India Hall talk going into it. I have probably about 3% of my complete portfolio in crypto at this point which nice um doesn't sound like a lot but it actually is kind of sure. kind of a lot and um i'll probably get that up to maybe five to six percent double that nice. Um, nice. by the end of this year now are you a long-term holder or are you doing more like uh faster trades within less let's say are you holding most of your crypto for over a year or are you trading faster than that yeah, I'm I'm a holder. Um, nice. So I, am I. Yeah, I, yeah. I, yeah. I I do the same thing with all my investments, though. I, I don't. Yeah. Um, I rarely sell within a year. Yeah. Well, that's um, smart. I mean, we won't get into the taxes. I am a tax lawyer uh, full time. That's what I do yeah. in my day job. Yeah. So it's always best to hold on to your investments for longer than a year. You get long term capital gains tax rather than short term capital gains tax. Short term, you're going to get dinged with about fifty percent on your gain. So. Never a great idea to sell it at under a year, but tax aside, uh, let's let's focus on that. I have Chainlink as well. I have um, I don't hold Bitcoin or Ethereum, uh, but I have Chainlink. I have Mana, uh, Decentraland, as you pointed out. I have BAT, Basic Attention Token. I have some Anchor as well, um, which Anchor I think is a really cool concept. Again, we're not telling you unless you want to go out there and buy these to to raise our value. Kidding, of course. No, no investment advice. But uh, but Anchor I think's got a really cool concept, which is that they're trying to create a platform on Ethereum where the novice, the person who has no experience with blockchain, could go create a coin or I guess an NFT using the Anchor. Uh, system basically essentially the the layman's explanation of it as far as i understand it is kind of like a squarespace or a wix like a drag and drop create your own coin offering sure so a lot of really cool stuff on the blockchain i mean it's just amazing what what it's become but back to nfts so okay it, go into your your explanation sure. so of that, what nfts are <laughs> so the um the difference there uh, is um, an NFT is a type of coin that um, you can change uh, data on the coin, uh, on the token. And so you can actually edit metadata and, and tie that to that token. And so it's inherently different than all the other tokens of that kind of token. Right. Um, and that's essentially what started... Um, NFTs, um, you know, they were primarily used... Um, in games before that so right they started out um i'm trying to think back the doc i made for indie hall um because i did a little bit of the history of it um 
recognizes the first NFT was a project called um, CryptoPunks, which were uh, images. Um, and each image was uh, is a character. And each character has a different trait. So, um, you know, a certain percent are female, a certain percent are male, percent are male certain percent have green skin, certain right. percent are smoking. You know, there's just, there's a little bit of a, of a variable between them all, which makes all of them unique. And so they created 10,000 of these, uh, opened them up in the marketplace and people for free, uh, at the time they could, uh, people could claim them and then, um, they could trade them on the marketplace. And from that, um, came another project, CryptoKitties. And that's kind of what got my attention um, um, because there was a game mechanic built into CryptoKitties. Uh, it was kind of the first thing um, that people were using cryptocurrency for in a game mechanic. Um, and the idea was you could buy these cats. Um, same idea. They each were a piece of artwork that had um, a number of different traits associated with them with certain rarity of those traits. Uh, but now you could take those cats and you could breed them and create new cats, new generations um, of cats from that. So there was um, there was kind of a, a game mechanic that allowed you to kind of um, randomly create um, new generations of cats. And, and then, again, put them up on the marketplace um, for resale. And, and that started getting attention because people were making some money um, right. trading those cats because it, it made made those rarities, it, it gave purpose to the rarity. Um, if you were generating a new cat from a, a rare cat, you know, you had a potential of getting that, that trait, um, uh, passed on to another, um, cat, which would then have value in the marketplace. Um, that was 2017, late 2017, early 2018. That thing was making some noise, uh, on, on the channels. And, uh, from that, the group that made that, uh, project. Um, they formed a company called Dapper Labs, mm -hmm. um, and Dapper Labs went on to um, strike a deal with the NBA to produce a project called Top Shots. Um, and I think that's, that's a lot of why many of us are talking. There's a bunch of reasons why a lot of us are talking about NFTs right now, and why we all are aware of these things. Um, but Top Shots is certainly a big one because a lot of this uh, it, it's making a lot of attention in the sports world. A right. lot of uh, big name basketball players are invested in it. Um, a lot of people are, you know, making a lot of money in the marketplace. Um, and so, just the background on Top Shots, it's essentially taking um, highlights that you might see on Twitter or ESPN, um, taking the, you know, a ten second highlight and attaching that to uh, an Ethereum token. Essentially, is what it does. And so, that highlight has certain parameters to it um, that make it valuable. The player. Um, it has, you know, they'll, they'll mint, you know, a thousand or 10,000 of a certain highlight. And so the lower the number you have of that highlight in that ranking order creates value on that, on that, um, NFT also. Um, and that, that project took off. Um, now they happen to launch, I think they launched at the beginning of this year. They've been working on it for a while. Um, uh, that's been in progress for a couple, uh, I would say, you know, at least deep into you know 2020, maybe even a bit into 2019 for that project. Um, but that along it happened to kind of launch right when um, cryptocurrency uh, got another bump. Um, so things were kind of 2020 was kind of flat for crypto uh, in terms of 
you know, movement in the marketplace. And then all right. of a sudden, right. um, you End know, of 2020, made, boom. Yeah. Yeah. Tesla made a big investment in Bitcoin, which raised everything way up, um, you know, almost fivefold. Uh, and so in one way, you know, there were all these marketplaces where people were trading these NFTs and these, these pieces of artwork, uh, and these top shots. And all of a sudden, just the value of all of those NFTs and, and, um, and the top shots skyrocketed because the value of the coin skyrocketed. So if something was up for one ETH, you know, last November, that was like a $400 piece of artwork and, and then jump ahead to February. And it was now all of a sudden a $2,000 piece of artwork, uh, if right. it was still at the same price. Um, so that brought a lot of attention to things too, because the values just went kind of, um, wacky, if you will. Um, yeah. Yeah. I have, I, I just pulled up my Instagram just to, uh, because we're in the middle of this discussion. I saw these pop up this morning before we came on. You mentioned CryptoPunks as of about 24 hours, 21 hours ago. We're recording this on a Saturday afternoon. So on Friday evening, uh, Christie, the auction house has, uh, has announced that they have a bundle of nine CryptoPunks. And I'm going to hold that up to the, to the screen here. If anybody's watching on our, YouTube channel. You can go check this out. We're we're recording this on Zoom. So these are what CryptoPunks look like. And Christie is auctioning off a bundle of nine of these. And they will likely go for a lot of money. This is going to be on May 13th, by the way, for anybody who wants to check that out. And then earlier this morning was announced that Jake Paul's knockout of Nate Robinson is being sold as an NFT for $10 million. It's crazy. It's crazy. The world we are living in is crazy right now. But uh, but it's kind of cool to watch, I think. So, uh, I mean, I, yeah. I, I think we should preface this with saying that the majority of people, one, I think a lot of these are selling like top shots and stuff are selling where you basically have to bid on a queue, right? And then basically, if you get selected, if you're lucky enough to get selected, then you have to transact and purchase it or you'll lose your opportunity. And then you've, you've done this. You've been, you've been through I, this. I, I have not. I have not myself, but I have friends who who have. So I've you know. But I'm so interested yeah, in it that I'm just every every five seconds I'm picking their brain about you know what's what's yeah. going on with this stuff. They and, had some trouble. They and had I some think, trouble for sure. Yeah, um, I think the majority of people aren't going to. You know, it's highly speculative, right? I mean, cryptocurrency to begin with is pretty speculative. You said you have three percent of your portfolio roughly in crypto. Most financial advisors who are pretty conservative, I would say, would probably say that that's three times too much, right? They want you to be at around 1% if they're conservative. I myself tend to disagree with that. I think everybody who's listening to this who wants to invest in crypto should do so carefully, right? But I I, I had a buddy of mine, we bought into Chainlink fairly early in the Chainlink game. And I've been very fortunate. Chainlink's token has done really well in the last year. Um, and then there are others, Tezos. I also have Tezos. That one's doing well recently. Uh, and then a few others. XRP really got banged because of the SEC thing with them in, I guess that was in December or whatever, which I honestly thought was extremely irresponsible of the SEC because it, it temporarily at least really dinged the crypto market when they did that to, uh, to Ripple to, to XRP because of Basically, they dinged them with with uh, SEC violations, kind of shut them down. A lot of the exchanges dumped XR XR. I think it's XRP is their uh, their yeah. I think you're right. Moniker. 
dumped Ripple, uh, including Coinbase. And so it made it really difficult to trade and, and kind of hurt. It, XRP, I think, has done okay since then, but nonetheless. Anyways, back to NFTs. And so the, the interesting thing is the non-fungible part, by the way, is related to its uniqueness. It means that one whole token cannot be broken down into smaller pieces, and it can also basically not be replicated. One token associated with one unique item. And I think you did a great job describing basically what it is in the sense that it's for unique items. And what people, I think, are having a hard time understanding is uh, and I've heard other people saying this, so I didn't come up with this. I'm borrowing it from Gary V and a plethora of other people have said this same statement. Think of it as digital art. And then will people say, well, well, I can just see that on the internet. Yeah, you can see the Mona Lisa on the internet too, or go see the Eiffel Tower light up on YouTube, right? But those things are copyrighted images. They are protected original images, original works of art. And that's the same concept here. While you can screenshot a piece of digital art, it's not the same as being the true owner of a Picasso, for example, right? So if you buy a Beeple, who's a, a digital artist that's blown up because of this stuff, um, if you buy a Beeple work of art or another artist's work of art on OpenSea or Super Rare or wherever you go to purchase your, your, um, your digital art, you can then put it at home or whatever you want to do or on your web page or whatever, but you're the individual true owner of that one original piece of artwork. The NFT right. is essentially like a real world certificate of authenticity, except that it's even more secure than a real world uh, certificate of authenticity. So if you owned a, a, a digital piece of art, you're still the true owner, which is completely different than, yeah, I can go on Google right now and right-click and save as an image of the Mona Lisa, that doesn't mean I have the real Mona Lisa. That's what we're talking about here. So it right. is really interesting. So let's talk a little bit about, it, it's clearly very effective for art, inclusive of, basically it's very effective for anything that you would copyright. Digital art, videos, uh, which is mainly what Top Shots is all about. Um, all, all of those things, GIFs, I see memes eventually being associated with this stuff, but it, it goes beyond that. I think when we get into the really cool applications of this long term in five to 10 years is this is going to be a bureaucracy buster because, for example, anything in the real world, because you can use an NFT for things in the real world, correct? Yeah, and there's some good examples of that. Um you know, I, my background in sports, so it's a lot of what I followed. But um, last year, or it might have even been 2019, um, the Sacramento Kings auctioned off a number of um, sports memorabilia, signed jerseys worn in the game, that sort of thing. And, and they backed it all by NFTs. Um, so as part of the transaction, you were getting uh, an NFT that uh, represented the item um, so that, you know, you could it, it had value. One of the things with physical goods, specifically signed memorabilia, if, if you tried to do any of this um, with comic books or baseball cards, um, as soon as you get something signed, it actually devalues the item. Uh, and that's how they look at it. Unless you can verify the signature, um, it, it, it takes you know, what could be a mint baseball card or, or you know, the, the finest of quality of card and devalues the quality because now it's got markings on that card. 
So the way around this, in comic books, there's a, an entity that um, if you go to get a book signed um, at you know a Comic-Con or anything like that, there's an mm-hmm. entity that's there that you can go and say, hey, come witness me getting this signed uh, you know, by Rob Layfield or whoever it is. Um, they will then witness you signing that or the, the artist signing it or the author. Um, they then take that book from you um, and they send it to you like eight weeks later encased in really hard plastic. I actually have one um, that's awesome. in, in my closet here. Uh, and that's, that's how you have to do it um, to get it signed, but to have the value of it. And this, this, but it's expensive. Right. This is, it was like, I want to say back then it was maybe like 50 to 80 bucks to get that witness and have it graded. They also grade the book too. So they give you a value, a number value on, um, on the condition that the book is in. Um, but this exists for baseball cards, exists for anything physical. And what, what the Kings did was they just minted an NFT and said, Hey, we've, we've created this NFT. We now transfer it to you. You can see it came from us. Right. And we authenticate this thing as, as it was worn in a game, which would be really incredibly hard to prove. Right. <laughs> Otherwise, right. Right. this was worn in a game and it's signed. And that signature is, uh, you know, that the athlete who signed it, um, that is a real use case for NFTs, and it's a really interesting way to um, get around working with these companies that um, that are you know kind of dominate that space. Um, so yes, physical goods, obviously, um, we can tie them up to NFTs. Um, but the, what it does in the digital side too, it kind of it it, it validates who created that thing. Um, you know, so any of these artists, I, essentially, the transaction starts with them, and they give it right. or sell it. Right. So you can say, "Oh, it actually came from people." Like that's that's the first, that's that wallet. Um, well, that's uh, what that the blockchain from. is, right? So the blockchain right. is basically at at its core because it's evolved now because of Ethereum, and it's going to evolve even beyond that. But the blockchain, which people seem to have a really hard time wrapping their heads around is like the internet, right? In the sense that the internet is open source and self-sustaining because of the network of devices on it that keep it alive, right? It's not the internet, air quotes. This is a little abstract, but just sit back for a minute and try to wrap your heads around this. (laughs) Here we go. Here we go. Hang on to your seats. The internet exists not in a server in particular. Right, it exists because of the network of servers and computers and uh, devices in general now, because there's probably more mobile devices and, and smartphones and tablets on the, all, connected to the internet than there are actual computers, and so it exists abstractly because of the network that keeps it alive. And the blockchain is like that, right? In the sense that it's it's verified created and continues to exist in a decentralized fashion, not on a server somewhere, but because of all of the devices that are constantly verifying the veracity of this ledger, right? Of the transactions, like you said. So basically, the simplest sure. way is uh, Bitcoin was the first, essentially, right? I'm sure there was probably something before Bitcoin, but but Bitcoin was the first like real use case in the real world, right? That's what they tell us. That's what they tell us. And then so, but one of the downfalls with Bitcoin, as far as I understand it, is 
Uh, and c- please correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm, I consider myself far from an expert. I'm usually enthusiastic about this stuff, but, but I don't know that I would run around with a bullhorn shouting at people that I know what I'm talking about here. But, um, but one of the big downfalls was Bitcoin was created on essentially its own blockchain, the Bitcoin blockchain, and really does not have, they don't really allow people to build on that blockchain, right? Sounds Basically. Correct. Right. Yeah. And then whereas, Ethereum, whereas Ethereum is, is exactly. Different. So then yeah. Ethereum comes along and creates a new blockchain where it says, much like the internet, you can code, on, you can build things, abstract things, but you can build things on here. You can build like Decentraland, right? Where you can build like a virtual world of sorts where you can buy virtual real estate and, and all of these things. Uh, you can create things like smart contracts, like Chainlink, right? Which is basically an Oracle service, basically, for um, predictive, uh, making smart contracts faster. So here's an example uh, for those of you who are listening. And Jason's going to correct me because he knows a lot more than I do about this stuff. But but we'll we'll try. We'll try. We'll see. We're, we'll see what comes out. Here. We'll see where we're going. <laughs> So with a smart contract, and this is, again, another real-world use of, of the blockchain and of crypto in general, a smart contract is basically a contract where it's digitally verified by the blockchain, by this ledger, so that when an event happens, a triggering event, that would essentially create uh, a trigger for the transaction to happen, it would happen virtually automatically, you know, within a matter of milliseconds, basically, or several seconds, a lot faster than the real world. So for example, Jason and I have an agreement. I'm going to write a contract for Jason as his attorney. And Jason is in exchange going to pay me my legal fees. If we had a smart contract, Jason would put up, let's say, Ether or another cryptocurrency like a Chainlink token for that contract. He would stake it for the contract. Once I have completed my task and I deliver the contract to Jason, those funds are transferred instantaneously. Whereas in contrast to the real world, where if we had that same exact transaction and Jason drafted me a check, believe it or not, I would take that check and deposit it in my bank. And three to five days later, those funds maybe would appear after a whole bureaucratic chain of events to do the same thing that could happen almost instantaneously using a smart contract, right? More or less. More or less, yes. Okay. All right. <laughs> Good enough for a layman, at least. So, so that's how all of that, the blockchain aspect of this is created. But then you have these non-fungible tokens, which you associate with a unique set of goods or something creative. But we're about to take that a step further. And basically, those transactions are tracked, like J- tracked, like Jason said. The creator creates the digital piece of art, then he sells that, or she sells that. The creator sells that, they sell that, and whoever purchases that, the artist gets however many. Usually, it's ether. I think, right? ETH, the Ethereum token, is usually the transacting currency. Yeah, currently, that's most of the marketplaces are backed right. by that. So, right, that's what you're gonna pay or receive uh, right. into a wallet. So, and, and now the, the tr- contract is what governs how much uh, of that goes to who. Uh, right. So the seller will get X amount and the artist might get, you know, Y amount. 
Um, and someone else might get Z amount. Who knows? You know, it, right. it depends on how the contract's set up. And that's the really cool aspect of this on top of that is that you can create a royalty structure that forever compensates the artist, right? right? right. For their work, which yeah, is I mean, really cool. It, the, the smart contract can do anything, really. It can, it can modify the token. Um, right. It, you know, if it's an NFT, it can change the data on the NFT if they wanted to at that point. Um, an example of that is a project called Hashmasks, um, which if you buy a Hashmax, hash tough to say, if you uh, buy a <laughs> Hashmask, um, you acquire another token, uh, right. another kind of token. And once you've acquired a certain number of these tokens, you can trade those tokens in and change the name of the hash mass token. Oh, interesting. So you you inherently change the art uh, in the context of the art uh, by changing the name. And that's that's kind of like if you hold that token for long enough, um, uh, you know, that's part of the value of holding it. Now you can just sell it and you won't get enough of this secondary token to change the name. But it's a really that's, that's an interesting project. Yeah. The um that creator, uh, Nate Alex, is a very interesting fellow to follow um and his discord servers have been enlightening um following along with those projects uh the, before that the project he did um that caught my attention was called chain faces and it essentially is um a token that uh or a collection of tokens that he generated um much like CryptoPunks, where he, he created a whole set of these um and it's ascii art so i think it's like maybe eight characters in a row of ASCII um, letters and numerals and symbols. Uh, and the idea is that um, they get a score and that's part of what makes them unique. Uh, if they look more like a bear or, or less like a bear um, symmetry, if they're symmetrical or not symmetrical, and then there's a golf score that it gets. Um, I'd have to look up what the golf score is actually generated on. But basically when he mints these tokens, there's code that runs as part of the contract that gives it um, runs an algorithm that gives it a symmetrical score, golf score. Does it look like a bear score? And uh, and then depending on how they score, that's what creates value for these things in the marketplace. Um, and so that one, um, what's really interesting about that is that the choice of using ASCII characters meant that the actual art for the piece can be stored in the metadata on the chain uh, because it's a small enough piece of information. Um, part of the limitations with NFTs is that the, the metadata that can be carried on the token can't be very large. It's not, it's not a, a large set of data. Um, so the ASCII character that chain faces um, is essentially um, the first NFT that actually carries the, the piece of art for the NFT on the NFT. Um, Interesting. Whereas most NFTs that you see, um, they're pointing at an image that is hosted somewhere. So there's kind of like a, a not um, a centralized uh, aspect to NFTs too, um, because really it's you're buying a token that has a URL in it that's pointing to artwork. And that artwork could potentially go away um, over time. Um, you know, who knows five right. years from now, these right. servers are all going to be around. That's That's the promise of it. And people are working to fix that. Um, right. So that um, tokens that can carry more data, um, tokens that um, you know can potentially um, include the binary data for some of these pieces. Um, but that one specifically, that that artist um, is really interesting on what he's working on and the collections that he's doing. Um, yeah. So 
Yeah, another really interesting thing that that hit me the other day is this usefulness in five to ten years, which which we're kind of circling back to, in the real world, in spaces that normally have been controlled bureaucratically by governments. And let's face it, the government doesn't do a great job of do, of monitoring anything. And uh, for the best example I can think of is in real estate. And I'll explain. There's a huge problem in Philadelphia, and I would imagine that it's happening in a lot of other places. But I've I've had clients in my law firm that this has happened to, unfortunately, where a property gets fraudulently transferred at the recorder of deeds because the recorder of deeds in Philadelphia does uh, have online recording. Unfortunately, apparently the human beings on the other side of that that work for the uh, city of Philadelphia for the recorder of deeds office, don't double check. So you walk into the recorder of deeds office and there's a list of particular fraudulent uh, entities, right? That are fraudulently created. They basically don't exist. Because again, you can, reg- you can register an entity in Pennsylvania online and nobody checks that either, right? You just, you file, the name is available. Boom, you've got an LLC. So, right. so you use a fraudulent entity and you transfer these deeds, and it's happening by the hundreds at a minimum in Philadelphia where properties are getting transferred fraudulently. And then the worst part of this is, and I'm sorry, I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangential. Nah, I mean, this, this might actually be the most valuable information that we've covered so far. Listen, listen, this, this <laughs> is the best use for <laughs> NFTs. Forget about art. Forget about top shots. It will mm-hmm. fix this problem if mm-hmm. we could get the fogies uh, in, in government and in the judiciary to stand aside for a little bit and let technology fix a massive problem. So what happens is, and I'll try to keep this as short as possible. Let's say uh, uh, someone passes away or there's a vacant house in Philly. Uh, well, there are these ne'er-do-wells walking around that apparently are keeping an eye on this. And then they will go and you can, unfortunately do a lot of fraudulent activity. I won't talk about how it's done because I don't want to... I, I hope that nobody who does this kind of stuff listens to my show. But um, but just in case they do, I'm not going to walk you through the logistics of it. But I mean, the DA's office is involved. You, I went to the recorder. So, so basically, they take ownership of the property, and then what do they try and quickly flip it for profit? And then they've sold a profit that uh, they they take the profit and they and and they run. Uh, yeah, they take cash right. and then they run. So so basically, I don't fully understand what the scam is, and I've said this to other people. We can't possibly understand because we don't have that layer of nefariousness, I guess, in our brain to really understand like what's the scam here that I could run. But my basic understanding is they fraudulently transfer the property. I'll use myself because I always like to make myself the uh, the dastardly villain in my hypotheticals for my <laughs> students. So I'll use myself here as well. Okay. So let's say I fraudulently transfer someone else's property and you're looking to rent, let's just say, right? So I say, I'll tell you what, Jason, Market's really tough right now. I'll take half of what I normally would take for rent if you give me cash right now and give me your first, last, and and um, you know security deposit cash in hand right now. Sign a fake agreement. Who cares? Now I've got let's say three to six thousand dollars of your cash, and when you show up to move in next week, I'll be gone. So that's one one potential scam. The other is to do a sale. The DA's office told me this recently. 
because I'm working with uh, an individual over there who has been awesome, admittedly. He has been the the uh, particular individual. I won't name him, of course, but has been fantastic. But he's been the only shining light. The Recorder of Deeds office has been, quite frankly, atrociously bad. Um, the sad thing is, I, before the pandemic, this started that long ago, by the way, and we're still trying to solve this, which really says a lot about our legal system. But before the pandemic, I went to the Recorder of Deeds office and basically just said, like, how can this be? And they said, oh, yeah, XYZ LLC. Yeah, there's nine other of them. And I was looking at them with a straight face going, you've got to be kidding me. You know that this is happening and no one is stopping this when they're coming through. And and so I said, like, you know, is there a quick way to invalidate this? You who works for the recorder of deeds, you're telling me, you know, this is a fraudulent deed. Is there a quick way to resolve this? Oh, no, you've got to go through the court system. And if you don't like that, tough. We're the recorder of deeds. What are you going to do? Sue us? So the only person that's getting harmed in all of this is my client whose property has been fraudulently transferred and they have to waste their resources trying to get their own property back. Right. Right. Because the city's messed up, but yeah. because they're because they're just completely looking the knowingly completely looking the other way. But by the way, try to prove that, right? Because that's verbal across, you know, thick pane of glass. And by the way, with a straight face, that was one individual. I went to a different because they send you all around City Hall to, to try to go from office to bureaucratic office to try to solve this. And I go to another office where the guy literally that was working at that office said, tough, you don't like it. Do something about it. That was his response with a straight face. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Mm, but NFTs going back to I, I apologize for the rant, but I think people should know about this. And it's all over the news. And then the judge who worked on the who is working on the case, we're trying to get this uh, in a different direction here because the judge just uh, I mean, it, it's mind blowing how we're trying to explain very clearly and the individual from the DA's office showed up and flat out told the judge that this is what was happening. X, Y, Z. They have all the evidence. They would be willing to share it with the judge, but can't release it openly because they're trying to catch this fugitive. Right. And the judge with a flat with a straight face basically says he's going to dismiss the case. What world, what planet and what world are we living in? that we're allowing these people to continue to run the show when this kind of stuff is happening. Anyways, off my rant. Sorry about that. Okay. But but N this is where NFTs in five to 10 years could make a massive difference because it would be all blockchain. It would be out of the hands of the recorder of deeds. First of all, we'd save whatever that salary is. Sorry, but I, I think you know when you're screwing up that much, Somebody's got to call the ball and say, "Look, this is ridiculous." You know, but that anyways, elected position? that's an elected position. Mm -hmm. But nobody runs against it, like right. You know what I mean? Right. Like how right. many? How it's one, it, it's one of those where you go if if Register you vote well, locally. Sort of yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. exact same thing. And so, and there's no, they basically have sovereign immunity, I guess, in their position, where it's like there's nothing, nothing that you could do. But anyways, so NFTs could solve things like this because right. you would take an NFT real estate is considered in the eyes of the law, inherently unique. Literally every parcel of real estate is considered its own unique parcel. You attach an NFT to every piece of parcel and it's just like the recorder of deed. That's what the recorder of deeds job is, is to keep the ledger 
of these transactions, of these deeds being transferred from one party to another. They're doing a terrible job. I say we switch yeah. to NFTs tomorrow <laughs> and, and we we create a new position in city government to monitor this. We'd hire somebody that's maybe we should start hiring panels rather than singular individuals to handle these things. But anyways, that's one of the real world uses, I think, that could solve a massive problem in society. Yeah, I think a lot of what people expect to happen over the next couple of years is that, you know, we'll start transitioning a lot of, you know, the digital content that we consume on a phone over to glasses or probably glasses. Um, yeah, but, and that's, that's definitely coming. I mean, that's, there's big companies with big funding, you know, very far along in their development process, um, you know, and then you've got Apple will eventually do this, you know, potentially Google will potentially do this too. Right. Um, and that content is all going to have, it'll be a completely different ecosystem. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, this is kind of the first step in how do we overlay digital content over top of, you know, our physical space and do that in a way that is meaningful um, and has value as opposed to just slapping, you know, the current state of graphic design everywhere that's not going to work um, it doesn't scale um there's no ownership there's right. no right there's no value there's no marketplace for that um you know and so you know you can't you can't sell me a digital apple um that doesn't have some sort of token associated with it so i know it's i know where it came from i know its history its its value um so it's, I think that's, that's really on the horizon. I don't, I, you know, I also think that all, all of us sat at home pretty bored last year, um, you know, <laughs> reflecting on our lives. And right. so we're seeing the result of that. People are doing int really interesting things. People yep. are spending their money in ways that they may normally not have before the pandemic. Uh, and in a way to not only speculate and, and, um, you know, try to, um, change, you know, their current surroundings or their current, you know, uh, predicaments, um, hopefully for the better. Uh, and that's, I think that's kind of those two things plus the whole Elon Musk thing. That's why we're at where we're at right now. Is right. People, people want to change what they are fundamentally at this point. Uh, a lot of people are in that position and, um, and, you know, the technology is, it's there, you know, we're all hearing about it and seeing it. Um, and the people that are in this space, you know, they're technically savvy. So they, they know this is coming. Um, and being the first in is, is, you know, you don't have to look far. I mean, when you look at baseball cards and imagine if you had, you know, some of those first series of tops cards, you know, what, what would they be valued at today? You know? Um, right. And that's, right. It. that's what this right. is. It's essentially, the same thing. Um, you know, you mentioned the, the marketplace is the most interesting part of this. I think, um, you mentioned the Beeple project. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a, a couple good threads about, um, that specifically. Um, and my interpretation of it was that, um, the person who bought that massive $66 million, um, uh, piece of artwork, um, they had, pretty much cornered the market on most of the collection at this point, um, in his earlier work. 
Um, they then there's really, you got to go online and read about this. Uh, I could be, this could be like uh, here, hearsay. This could be like, I fell on a thread and I'm now like a QAnon person, <laughs> uh, in terms of like people, anon. um, but my understanding is that, um, uh, someone went and bought up the collection and then they created a, a token. Uh, so basically other people could invest in the collection. Uh, in a smaller way and get a return on the, the value of the collection of people artwork. Uh, and so when that larger piece went up for um, at Christie's, that same person essentially had to buy that piece in order to create the value on the token that they had created to back the value on this artwork. And um, it's a really fascinating story, but that's, uh, and, and I don't know if it's true or it's, if it's a story, um, right, right. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, you go and look at any of those, um, any of those people pieces and see, because it's an NFT, there's a ledger transaction. Um, and you'd be able to see the wallets that were involved there and see if that's actually the case. Um, but the marketplace for me is, is the most interesting part of the dynamic. I mean, it's, it's really fascinating to see who's involved. Um, and the gameplay of that marketplace, um, is, is interesting. Um, people are, are cornering markets. I mean, they're creating value, uh, just based on scarcity of, of no one else can have one of this artist's yeah. work because I, I own yeah. them all. Um, yeah. you know, that's happening a lot. And, um, you know, if you're going to, my suggestion is if you're going to buy or get into NFTs and look to, to invest there and make acquisitions, one, you know, look for the image online and make sure it's it's actually comes from the artist that um, you know it's being represented properly. Um, I've heard some things there. Um, and what's also, the best way to do that, though? Because I guess you're, you're starting with Google, obviously, right? Or, yeah, or another yeah. search engine. I just engine. do a reverse image search uh, okay. on the image and make sure it's not you know something that would be copyrighted or protected, or or that people are complaining about it being up. Um, there was a project recently put up by a game developer um, named Jason Rohrer. Um, and he had in 2011 had a bunch of uh, video game folks create digital artwork for a game of his. Um, and, you know, jump ahead 10 years later, he took some of that artwork and, and crafted NFTs around them and put them up in a marketplace. And, some people thought, you know, it was hilarious and, you know, didn't care. And other people involved with the project did. And, you know, you could find that conversation on Twitter uh, around that project. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say be careful in that sense. And then um, and then look at the marketplace and who's buying the artwork around the artwork you're looking to invest in. Um, are you going to be that person who buys up, um, you know, the collection? Or is there someone else um, that would value the piece that you're going to buy because they're trying to corner the market? Um, or, you know, is your piece not part of what's being cornered? And then it, you know, it loses value at that sense. Um, right. So it's fascinating. Now, really. let's real quick talk about, and if you don't know this, I, I totally respect that uh, because I don't know this, but I am curious about this. If somebody wanted to mint an NFT for something of theirs, whether it's digital artwork or whether it's something in the real world, 
Do you know what the process behind that would be or where people should start at least? Or sure. do, you, do you have no idea? Because I have no idea. <laughs> so you can start um, OpenSea's, uh, OpenSea, the marketplace. You can craft an NFT there. Um, I don't know if you can do a whole collection, but I know you can do uh, an, an NFT. Uh, I imagine if you do one, you can do many. Um, I think a lot of these, from an artist standpoint, um, just making them and putting them up is not enough to retire. Um, there's, you know, you need to, um, you need to find the audience who's going to take part right. in purchasing yeah. it from you. Um, yeah, like everything that's... else that, you know, you need to build a community, you need to build an audience of followers, you need to build for a target audience. Exactly. And that's and what they're going to buy. Mean, yeah. Like a lot of artists moving to the space, their audience right. doesn't necessarily mean that's going to translate into people who are going to buy this right. kind of thing right. from them. Right. Right. You know, so, um, you know, being uh, it potentially being active, you know, on some of these discord servers is where a lot of the conversations happening. I know top shots, you know, anyone who's trying to sell a top shot has to jump in and basically try and hock it on discord first, um, before trying to sell it in the marketplace, unless you've got something really ridiculous. Um, but you, that's where you find a buyer. Interesting. Discord. Really interesting. Uh, Chain faces hash masks. They both have Discord servers where this same sort of thing happens. Now, for um, the uninitiated, what is a Discord server and how do you find it? Sure. Uh, Discord server um, is basically a chat. Discord's a chat application. It's pretty common in video games. Um, it kind of came about because um, PC game players really didn't have a great way to communicate like you would in on a console game. And so, uh, Discord is a, uh, it's a centralized server that basically provides chat, text chat and, and voice and video chat. Um, and their primary market was gamers up until, I guess, more recently where we're all at home. Um, right. Right. So people are using it for other applications now. Yeah. And, and what I see, I see it a lot being used in, um, investing in crypto. Um, you know, get on my, Discord channel for $49.99 a year or a month, who knows? Um, and I'll give you the best, I'll give you all my stock picks. Like I see that all the time. Interesting. Um, and, uh, and now with these NFT projects, um, they set up Discord servers around them so they can discuss, um, how they're going to drop the collection, um, how, you know, they're going to, seed that to buyers so usually you know if you're in early enough on a discord server for if you know the next version of hash hash masks or whatever it is that's coming out um you could potentially be one of the original owners of that project um and then that would get transferred to you and then you can do whatever you want with it from there you can put it up on open seas and try and resell it you can put it on you know a cold storage usb um, and keep it forever uh, in a safe, you know, whatever you want to do with it. Um, but that's where a lot, of, a lot of the action is, I would say, um, is on these, these Dogecoin servers. And then a lot of it's announced on Twitter. So if you're looking to find where this stuff is, go on to Twitter and start following some of these people. Um, you know, a search of NFT on Twitter. I, I don't know what that'll produce at this point, but, um, you know, Nate Alex is a good one to start at. Um, he's, he's been in the space for a while and then just see who he's, adding and then start following them too. And soon enough, you'll have a pretty good amount of people discussing that because they, they're vocal. The, the other part of this um, is that in 
like January, late January, early February, um, you know, a couple of news articles hit and this community really started um, to become vocal about, you know, the, it's coming, like the wave is coming and you could see, you know, the communications, especially on a public front, like Twitter really started ramping up. Um, and now they, you know, most of these people, they post multiple times a day and it's very much like, in a in a justifying the space kind of kind of uh, framework, I guess I, that's kind of the message that they're framing is that you know it's okay not to understand it, but it's here and we're doing it. Um, it's not going to go away, that sort of thing. Um, so that's where we'd start on Twitter and then follow it over to Discord um, to learn more. Cool. So okay, so Open Seas, you can go there to to mint a token. And can you do that with anything real world or or digital, or does it have to be sort of a digital piece of art, a digital creation? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I don't know if you can do it for a real world object. I imagine that's, um, I you know, but I don't know. I haven't tried that. I know um, we've minted. Um, uh, you can do short video. You can do animations, um, which are probably short videos in the same format um, or a still imagery. Cool. Now, do you see um, this as potentially a, a means for crowdsourcing as well for crowdfunding in the future instead of, for example, an Indiegogo or, or whatever other yeah, crowdsourcing platform, yeah. this could be a useful tool for that as well, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the difference there is, you know, uh, well, I guess it's not much different because if you're going to back someone's Kickstarter, let's say I'm making a new video game and you're going to back my Kickstarter on it, I'm going to have, you know, a thousand of this thing that I'm going to offer these backers. And exactly. I'm have a thousand right. of this thing to offer these backers. So there's there's scarcity already of the items, and that's really what's key for the NFT. Um, if there's no, it creates scarcity of it of an item, um, and so. You can craft an NFT or a collection of NFT NFTs to be the same thing. You know, it's all there's going to be a thousand of this LeBron James video dunking, and we're going to craft a thousand NFTs that point to this video. Um, you know, so you can do multiple NFTs for the the same thing. It doesn't inherently have to be different. It just has to be um, the the ability to be different is really right. the key. Right. Um, and then the scarcity, um, is, is the next key to it. Um, so, so yeah, open is a platform and then, um, rareable and you super rare are platforms. Um, I, those I believe are invite only for creators at this point. And so you have to apply and then get selected. And I imagine they have their own, um, way to mint your NFTs on their platform. Cause at the end of the day, you need to access, um, the smart contracts that mm -hmm. are involved, right? Exactly. So that you can you can set up how your transactions are going to happen in the future, and so that's essentially what all you're really doing when you're minting an NFT. You're using someone else's smart contract, um, saying, "Here's the image. Here's some metadata. Um, let me go with your smart contract um, to mint this, and then my transactions will follow those details from here on out." Exactly. Um, but you can do this on your own too. If you know what you're doing, you can mint um, your own and create your own smart contract is essentially the work that's involved with that. Um, Pretty so. cool stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Jason, thank you so much. I, I think this has been really enlightening and, and you do know a lot about what you're talking about, in my opinion, at least. So uh, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Uh, you know, I have, thanks for having me on. 
Yeah, if people want to reach out to you, if they want more info, if you want them to follow your Discord uh, so that they can buy <laughs> buy your crypto, uh, yes, your crypto yes. picks. Uh, give me what, all what, my stock picks. <laughs> what's the best way to reach out? Uh, Twitter. Um, I'm uh, at uh, L-A-L-W-I-N-S on Twitter. Um, and I am Jason Marziani on Instagram. So yep. I'm on there too. I'm I'm old. I'm starting to get on TikTok because it's that content's a you lot more interesting. But, you have to now, yeah. But uh I'm not uh I'm not contributing anything at all to the platform. Um and so I I don't even know what my username is on that one. Probably <laughs> my name. Because I'm like that lame. I'm just like, hey, it's my name. Uh, I don't, you know, I need to come up with like like a way cooler thing with like letters and numbers in it. Um cool. But yeah, I'm not there yet. So uh but yeah, that's where you just email me. I awesome. have an email address, Marziani, my last name at gmail.com. Cool. Jason, or thank LinkedIn. you so much. Actually, yeah, that's, yeah, on that's LinkedIn as well. Yeah. LinkedIn is like, I'm actually on that a lot. So yeah. Awesome. I Jason, work. thank I you so job. much. Yeah. I appreciate it. It's been, it's been great to have you on here and uh, MVP interactive as well. We'll drop a link to the homepage for that, where you can actually go see the Tennessee Titans mural with augmented reality that Jason was talking about from earlier on in the episode. Uh, super cool stuff, man. You're working on a lot of really cool stuff. I appreciate it. Um, thank you for the compliment. Yeah. Awesome. All right, Jason, I'll see you on Friday and, uh, Sounds thanks good. for being with us. Appreciate it. All right. Take it easy. Thanks. See ya.